Welcome back to Inside Marketing Design. This is a show that dives deep into the brand and marketing design side of tech companies. I'm your host, Charlie Marie. I'm the creative director at ConvertKit. And because I work on a small team, the interviews that I conduct for this show are honestly essential research and learning opportunities for me. And I hope that they are for you too. In this episode, I'm speaking with Dan Edwards, who is a senior visual designer at Sneak. Sneak is a developer security platform. They're a company of around a thousand people and Dan joined the team about two and a half years ago. He's played a key role in that time in leveling up the Sneak brand. And in this episode, we dig into what it actually means to level up a brand and how Dan approached it. We also talked about self-service and how the Sneak brand team is enabling folks in marketing to create quality assets by themselves, which was really interesting for me. And I wanna share a fun fact about Dan before we get into the episode. He is also the designer of this print about the creative process and the stages that you go through with it that's been hanging on my office wall for like seven years now, I want to say. People always comment on it and I love it. And it was really fun to connect with Dan again and talk about his creative process at work. So now let's get into it and take a look inside marketing design at Sneak. Welcome to the show, Dan. Very excited to have you here. Like I told the folks in the intro, the poster you designed has lived on my wall for, oof, I don't even know how long now, maybe like six years, five years, something like that. That was a future web design um, event, wasn't it? I'm excited to get to interview you today about the work you do when you're not designing cool posters for my wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that that's all I do. Did you not get the memo? That's that's my job now, designing oh, posters right, yeah, exclusively sorry. for Dan you. Edwards, head of designing posters for Charlie's Wall. Tell me, though, what are you responsible for as senior visual designer at Sneak? Anything that the brand touches. So it can be everything from marketing materials, be that physical to events and one pages that either go out digitally or printed through to the website and kind of cross over a little bit with product in terms of how we ensure brand consistency across both the marketing site and into product. So yeah, everything that brand touches, I have some responsibility for. I love it. And what about the brand design team? How would you describe what that team you're on is responsible for? We're very small in, in the brand team. We kind of stretch out wider to the larger design team, but the brand team itself is just four people. We have Ben, who's our manager, and then we have myself and Ollie, who are both senior visual designers, and then we have Fion, who's our associate designer. We all kind of wear multiple hats. We definitely have like areas that some of us are stronger in and prefer to work in. So some of us are more focused in like the event space or sort of like asset creation and others are like myself. I'm really interested in like the design systems and the brand systems and looking at the brand as like a, a whole. But again, we all kind of cross over. We don't really have like silos, a mini silo within the team of like this person only covers a particular part of brand. We we definitely collaborate across everything. So. Again, I'd say probably the answer for everybody on the brand design team would be that they all are responsible for anything that brand touches. And where does the brand design team fit in? Maybe start with the wider design team and then the wider company as well. How does it interact there? The brand team itself fits within or falls under the marketing team. We report to our manager, our manager reports to the wider marketing team, and, and we have a very close relationship with them. We also cross over with the product design team a lot. So part of what we want to ensure is that we have brand consistency from 
the web, anything we do on the marketing site, through our campaigns, right through to what product are doing. And that can cross over from not just like visual design, but also tone and voice and things like that. We work closely with the content team to ensure that there's consistency around how we speak. And that needed to be defined early on when I joined. So people understood like not just the brand visually, but also how sneak speak and talk about the product and the things that we say and the things that we don't say. We try not to be scary. We try not to be like hackery and hoodies. We want to be more friendly and helpful. Those small things are, are like decisions that we've made. And I think that only really comes from kind of working across the team. The marketing team is generally like where we all sit under. That makes sense. That's the same for at ConvertKit as well. I'm like not under marketing, but on the growth side of the company. It's always interesting to see where companies put the brand folks. We're pretty flexible. We could fit in with like a wider design team, part of the product team. You started to touch on something there, Dan, that I want to go into next about defining the brand voice. I know that when you joined Sneak, one of your early like tasks to take on was to level up the brand, which is something that I think, I don't know, most brand designers have been given that directive at some point that the brand needs to be leveled up. And that's kind of like a, I don't know, it's a pretty fuzzy directive. It's pretty vague, Leveling right? <laughs> up can mean different things to, yeah, yeah, to different, different companies. So I'm curious for you to share how you approach that but maybe we should start with you describing what the Sneak brand was like back then when you joined and what needed to change. Really, it was, we don't really have many designers at Sneak. This was at the time. We didn't really have anybody on brand. We had marketing designers. In fact, I think we had one marketing designer and a couple of product designers, and that was the design team. And then we had a head of design that came in who hired me. This is before like the brand team even existed. And so... The idea was we have a product here that's great, but it's been designed and built by developers. You can tell that that's been the case. And then we have Ollie, who was here just before me, who was working as a marketing designer doing everything. So he was the only marketing designer. So if anything was created, it didn't matter whether it was a, a one pager or a slide deck or a logo or anything, it was Ollie. And so you can imagine that, you know, even the company of that size, I think was around four to 600. It's uh, still a decent sized company with Whoa. one marketing designer. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I cannot imagine Ollie's workload at that point. <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty intense. I mean, so I think when when I joined, we had a color palette that existed of a purple. Basically, we had two shades of purple, <laughs> and that was the sneak purple. And we had a font stack that, or type stack. So that had been inherited by the developers who'd built the site and the product. So everything used Prenton, which was a, a horrible typeface that wasn't a web font either. It had to be licensed and paid for to be used everywhere. Those were the couple of things that like straight away, we were like, right, we need to decide on like, what do we look like? What does the sneak brand look like? We have this logo, which is we call our logo Patch, the little mascot, the little dog. And Patch is friendly. We know this. We know we don't want to be, like I said earlier, like a a hackery, scary security company. I mean, we've recently gone through actually creating more of like a 3D version of Patch. And that version, which you can see on the website sporadically, is much friendlier than even the original like mascot that we have as part of our, our logo. And that was all intentional. But 
in terms of like choosing color palettes and, and typography, you know, we had key things we wanted to make sure that whatever we chose worked across from marketing site right through to product. Products were telling us that they were having to do things within their product with the typography where they would have to adjust the line height individually. Like, oh, I have every button needs to have a minus two pixels because it sat too low, things like that. And so there was all these like little things that we knew were an issue that just had been inherited. And so, yeah, we worked through on, okay, what kind of typeface do we want? And how does that pair with what we do across product? Is it flexible enough? Is it a web font for a start? Like, can we just use a Google font that can be then used across like Google Slides and everything rather than just a font that it doesn't exist? We took that up as like one of our first projects and the color palette defining that extending that from two purples to two core purples and then like a whole breadth of colors including gradients and we've we've pushed on since then so that was one of my first things but like the idea of leveling up the brand was just to actually almost establish what the brand was and say what it looked like what it felt like what we sounded like and that was something that we just spoke to all teams marketing product you know from leadership down as well understanding what the reasoning was for using Patch, a dog, as our mascot and where that came from and all of those kind of things. Was it a discussion at some point, like, should we keep Patch? Should we switch to something else? Like, does Patch still exist as part of our brand? Is that why you brought that up as like part of the conversation? Yeah, it's, it's definitely like Patch was never leaving. Patch was so established as part of our brand. Like, we have a lot of really fun things that we've done with Patch over the years or pre-me even from putting patch on Converse shoes and making full-size patches that stick on your wall and, and things. But we knew that we wanted to keep the dog. We knew that we wanted to ensure that maybe we extended what patch was, gave patch a bit of a story and maybe developed that character further to actually be part of our marketing materials. Before it was just the logo, like the logo sat is Sneak and Patch, and that was our logo. That was kind of it. Um, but we'd done all of these th other things where Patch had been dressed up in a Star Wars outfit for May 4th. Fix or no fix, there is no try. You know, we'd done lots of things like that. I think there's even a Finding Nemo patch somewhere. Like there was all these fun things that people were doing with Patch, but like they would, they just existed like offline in stickers or as part of a random campaign. And so we knew that we wanted that to be part of the brand. So when we then started to bring Patch into our marketing campaigns and videos and things like that, like, okay, how do we bring Patch to life? Does Patch speak? Does Patch wear certain outfits? Or do they smile? Or do they growl? What is that growl like? Is it an angry growl? Or is it a friendly growl? So we had lots of those discussions around Patch. And as I say, we then developed like this full bodied version of Patch because Patch only existed as a head. Like, you saw that much of Patch. We now have a full-bodied version with multiple poses. The ultimate goal is to have like a fully animated 3D version that we can do anything with and we can use in almost anything, but we're away off that at the moment. I think that what you just described there about the process of fleshing out Patch essentially sounds like what you did for the rest of the brand too, right? Where when you started the brand... It existed, like someone had thought about the colors and the font and the logo and, and Patch as a mascot. 
but there wasn't something connecting it. It wasn't flexible enough to be able to apply to all the different things that you needed to be doing with it. That sounds like what your role was in leveling up the brand was let's think about what the underlying story is behind this and flesh it out so that it's super flexible and it can apply to all the things that we need it to. Yeah, I mean, your answer to my answer is a lot more concise. <laughs> I think that's perfect. <laughs> a perfect I'm just summary. reflecting back what I heard from you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I yeah, love it. totally right. <laughs> so who else was involved in this project in terms of being a decision maker or a stakeholder? You mentioned talking to lots of other teams and especially talking to leadership, but ultimately who was deciding like, okay, these are the purples, these are the other colors, this is the font. What was that decision-making process like? Who was involved in that? We were pretty lucky in that we had like full kind of creative control on that. We hadn't defined those things before. We had some guidance around like patches staying. We like purple. <laughs> but in terms of what else we do with the color palette, there was a real desire to like, okay, we need to establish our brand. Like we know that what we have right now isn't much more than like patch and a great product do your thing. It was kind of the direction. And there obviously has to be buy-in from senior execs. What we are doing as a brand team is there okay for us to spend our time doing that. But we had that. So that was it. When it comes down to actually making a decision on something, it was discussing that with the people that would be using it every day. So basically the product and the marketing team. From my point of view, because I was leading the color palette and the typography was like my two things I was running at, at, the, at the same time. And so I'd be presenting ideas around like, okay, this is the palette for what I think we could use for sneak. And then how does that apply to A, the product? You know, what does our call to action look like? Because everything again was purple. So what is our call to action color? Is that accessible? How does that color interact with our current backgrounds that we use throughout the product, is that going to be an issue using that gradient? I would essentially present things and then people would find good and bad things for about them so that we can then essentially like narrow down on like, okay, this is working and that's not. And when it comes to the typography, it was more of a, does this work across everything that we need to do? Let's actually test it in the product. So we would spin up a version of the product running that type stack and then does it work? Yes. Because there was such a desire to get away from what we had before. I, I was in such a fortunate position where almost anything I did, people were like, this is so much better. Like, give us more, give us more. So yeah, and that, that still runs through today. Like no matter what we do, we have cross-functional calls regularly between product and marketing. And there's always like a desire to have more and more of what we're doing feature in the product, be that an illustration or a tweak to our color palette, or it could just be something with patch. When we developed patch further, there was like, oh my God, how can we use this in the product? And that goes the same for like marketing. So we, we had so much buy-in automatically because everybody just wanted the new stuff. And as the brand team, we just had then the authority to basically say, we think this is correct. And sometimes we get it right and sometimes we don't. I love that. That trust is just so important, right? In being able to do good work as a brand designer, feeling trusted by your cross-functional peers, by leadership to make these decisions. And obviously you were bringing people along the journey. So you were giving them plenty of chance to provide feedback and you would implement that and make them feel like they were heard. But I think that's what leads to successful brand designers at the end is, is having that trust. I'm curious though, 
how long you worked on this. Was there a strict deadline? It seems like everyone was very keen to like have something changed yesterday. So I'm curious to know if there was pressure around that, if you had a deadline or if there was one that you set for yourself to make this happen. Yeah, it was definitely um, deadlines we set ourselves. We probably worked on the color and typography work over a period of about a month. But then the implementation is what really takes the time. As a brand team, we were able to go, okay, we've, we've decided this is the new color palette and then create guidelines around that. And we can start using that immediately. But for the product team, when they go, okay, we have this great new color palette and we have this new font, we couldn't just flick a switch and implement it straight away. So I think that process took a lot longer, especially, as I said, because they had to do things within like buttons and stuff where they were literally adjusting pixels, like minusing and pixels to make them fit. Right. So, so then they, they had to, to reverse all that, that when they bring in the new. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Gosh. So there was there was a lot of that. And they're doing their own thing as well. Alongside that, there was there was a lot of other things happening. But yeah, I mean, the process was pretty quick of, of making the decisions. It was just in the rollout of that that took a while. And then what followed was, okay, how do we make a system around this? Because if we want something that brand designers are going to use, and then product designers are going to use, how do these two teams have access to these new colors and illustrations and things like that, whilst they're building and designing whatever they're building? And product had a design system, but brand didn't. And was creating a brand design system the right thing to do? Or should we be using their system and pulling from that? There was then discussions around like, how do we actually implement what we were doing? First question for you is, can we be a bit more specific when you say it was pretty quick to make the decisions, but took longer for the rollout? Are we talking like weeks or months, years? Months. Give us the time. Yeah, months, I'd say was fair. <laughs> months. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, so nice. it, it was it was months of, of actually implementing that, mainly on the on the product side. I think it was definitely a, drawn out process for to actually implement that on the brand side it was definitely it was definitely quicker because we can just start creating assets with these new things right away so the first things to go out were things like social cards and blog headers and one pages and things like that because then immediately we can say okay we have these one pages that go out or these customer stories that go out let's just use this as an opportunity we have this new color palette this new typography like let's immediately roll that out and then that started to go into a wider kind of redesign, I suppose, around our assets. And then we we start to move on further. And then the product team and the other teams, like the web team, for example, were implementing. Whilst they were doing that, we were then already much looking at what the next version of the of the brand leveling up process would be. And that was then kind of like illustration style and icons and things like that. Well, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that too, about what stage you're in now with the brand, because obviously a brand is never like finished, right? How how are you feeling about the state of it now and what what's coming next with it? Yeah, so I mean, we're all like much happier with where the brand is at. I feel like we have we have consistency where we didn't have it before. You know, when you have one designer trying to do everything and across multiple teams, you just sometimes experiment with something and that asset goes out and then it gets kind of torn up and reused and then you trying to do something new and it's really hard to like manage all of that. So when we then brought that consistency and got to like this level, we were like, okay, we're happy now. Everything is consistent. It's then what's next. And that's where we're at now. 
we have a brand design system that we use. We have guidelines for things like hero illustrations and iconography and how we do that. And so everybody in the brand team is on board with and understands exactly what our current like brand language is, because you, we want to push this a little bit further. We're like, okay, how can we maybe get a little bit more experimental or how can we be a bit more immersive with our brands. If we took this brand and then like blew it up and made like a really immersive boost, for example, what does that look like? And what is that experience? And then instead of doing like a hero where we have text and an illustration, what if that whole hero was like an immersive animated experience? And what does that look like? Because suddenly you can't just make an illustration and go like full screen and expect it to work. So what does that look like? And how do we use what we've created to make something that's, like I say, a little bit more immersive? And so that's where we're kind of looking at now. We're all happy with where the brand is at, but we're never like finished. We're definitely like, ah, we want to improve on that. And that could be better. <laughs> I'm really jealous that you're at the phase now of able to think about adding in more and more layers to the brand, like more richness and thinking about these immersive experience. That's where I want to be with ConvertKit. And we are not there yet. Yeah, we've got a ways to go before we can spend time on that stuff. So I'm jealous and I'm looking forward to seeing what you create. But let's move on now and talk about the marketing site, which is obviously one of the brand properties that you were first applying this new brand to as part of the brand leveling up project. What role does the marketing website play for Sneak? Is it like, a salesperson, an information hub, where does it fit into the marketing process? Yeah, so this is one of the things that um, Ben, our manager, kind of led quite heavily as the, the kind of solo person that worked on, at the time, our brand design system that then got rolled out to web. But as a, as a SaaS company, like it plays multiple roles for us. It's a huge part, obviously, but it's not like the only part of the brand experience. We kind of let it be influenced by what the brand does in the world and then like vice versa. It's probably the most evergreen asset we have, I guess, in terms of like its main functions. One of them would be to like inform. So like we have tons of education material, not just like sneak related, but like industry related stuff that's produced by our content and marketing team. So that's definitely a big part of it. Obviously converting, we're obviously looking to like optimize for users wherever we can along like the journey of hopefully becoming a customer but like a lot of it is around answering questions we have people that maybe are looking to they know they need a solution like sneak but they don't really understand how they're going to use it and so we we try and like navigate those paths we have a few different personas that we work to and then we have like the support kind of aspect to it so we want to be useful as like an actual resource for our customers now, obviously we again we want them to like ultimately make the decision to like work with us and use us but a lot of it is around like supporting that developer or the person that is actually coming through to the website. So that's like our kind of, I guess, three main roles that it plays. When you and I first started talking about featuring you in Inside Marketing Design, you mentioned that you'd just finished this project of rebranding the website, essentially porting the new design system over. I'm curious to hear more about that process and how that went and what problems you were looking to solve with the website as you rebranded it. You know, it's a very iterative process. You know, we're, we're definitely not like redesigning the website regularly or 
I don't think we've ever really ever focused on like, oh, we're going to redesign our site. You know, I'd love the job security of like start from scratch. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. Do let's just just redo the website um, every time we find a new pro we launch a new product or have a new audience. But we're obviously doing this like constantly and we're constantly iterating it. And we didn't really have like problems that we were looking to solve with the website. We were heavily focused on like scalability. At the time when we started the brand refresh and this kind of like audit of the website, Sneak was going through like unprecedented growth and the website needed to be able to like scale with that at the same time. So the site was kind of managed by just a few people, both in like product and marketing, but we had like multiple people working over it. The only, I say like problems that we had were around like the CMS that we had. We were really restricted from like a brand point of view around what we could do because the CMS was so restricting. And so we wanted to move over to a way that we could create all of these amazing assets and put them into components. And then people from the marketing team could just build pages as they go. And we weren't able to do that until we had a new website and a new, a new CMS. So we were kind of iterating on the website, implementing new typography and, you know, color palette and illustrations here and there. And then uh, coinciding with building like a brand UI design system, we were then looking at, okay, how does this then crossover into the website and what did that look like and that we essentially moved to like a headless cms with a static site which separated the front end from the data and content and this allowed us to like implement that design system and we could be doing all of the fun stuff we wanted to do there was a bit of like chicken and egg where we wanted to be doing a lot of fun stuff with the brand and implementing on the site there was a bit like oh we can't really do that without like making a custom page and then that's not content editable it was like this iterative process that we went through. We're now at the point where we have this and we have a design system. We have the point where people can actually go in and build pages and we just then can focus on, okay, is this component that we've built the right component? Is it doing the right job? How do we have gaps within our website? Where we got to the point of, okay, this is very now functional and everything has a system and people can make and build pages themselves. How do we ensure that we actually still make the website enjoyable to experience? We're still working on that next step. We're starting to experiment with that now. And that is then going to be the next step of like, okay, how do we bring in more brand into the website now that we've kind of like got a level playing field? I'm starting to wonder if this process we're going through of like adding to the design system as we go like every new page we ship because there's a new need for marketing we'll like add another new component into the system use it as an opportunity it's feeling very slow and like we're not making much progress did you approach it by like just all at once like boom here's a system all the pages are going to be built from these components and you like shipped it all at once is that how you did it no <laughs> we absolutely okay, ship so in stages. In, in our <laughs> yeah, then. Okay, absolutely, okay. there's hope. Put it this way: we launched the new website at the beginning of this year, and we started the process about a year and a half ago. That's how long it took us to go from right, we're going to build a design system for the website to actually launching the website with that in place. Our design system is fully versioned. We have a, a roadmap that is dictated by regular analysis on how it's performing and interviews with stakeholders. We kind of approached it with like a tiered approach. Uh, we, and we based that based on like performance, conversion or value or a combination of all three. But we started with what we called like tier one pages and we then refined the system so that it scaled down to like more of the simplistic pages. 
And so that was a really good way for us to prioritize. We were like, okay, our homepage and our product pages are like our tier one pages. And so anything we now do when we go forward, our tier one pages generally get the first treatment of that. So our homepage and our product pages will be the first things that get any new asset creation, any system tweaks, like that's where we start. And it's like that, again, like helped us be able to prioritize what we actually ship. We started with our product pages and hit and homepage and got those live within a few months. But then it's, as I say, it's then taken in like a year and a half to get every single part of the site running with this design system. But now that we have it, <laughs> it's actually a lot easier to iterate because we can then, instead of thinking about, okay, we've got a part of the site that's using the new design system and a part of it that's not, which is where we were at for a while, everything uses it. So if we want to roll out a change and we decide that that change is going to be across the entire website, then that's just a component change or it could be a set of component changes. But normally we start, I say, with that like tier one and then we kind of like scale down from there. Does tier one pages use the same components as like tier two and lower pages? Yeah, yeah. Or are they yeah. like different versions of the same component? No, no, they, uh, they, it's all of the same. It's all the same. It just means that we can, we can version it in a way that we can essentially add new components or tweak new components. Anything we're doing, we'll start with, okay, if this is being used by a tier one, then let's start with that and let's get it like tested. Let's see if it's working and let's analyze its performance. For example, the heroes is a good one. I know I've mentioned it a few times, but like, our product heroes are a big part of like our, our web experience. We want them to be, and that's now where we're experimenting with tier one pages. So like the next version of a hero, what does that look like? Then we will start to roll that out across everything. But yeah, they all use the same components. It's just that we will add to it rather than adding a different version of it, a second tweak. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's what gets prioritized in the iteration. I love that. I'm very excited to be at this level because like you said applying the rebrand it wasn't starting from scratch thinking like okay how do we put this content on the page you already had a structure there and you were like maybe making some tweaks based on the new brand did you find that all the pages fit pretty well into a system or did you find that there was outliers where you're like this one has been treated very differently to this one spoiler alert that latter version is what I'm finding myself in with the ConvertKit site. <laughs> yeah, you're not alone. That is exact. Yeah, it's, yeah, okay. we had exactly the same thing. Phew. We had pages where some had obviously had a, a good amount of attention as to how we spoke about a, either the product or the solution or whatever it was that we were marketing and selling. And we had like a consistent voice. I'm sure the content team would tell you like that that wasn't the case. But like from our point of view, it's like, okay, this page seems like pretty well structured. And the other ones, they would just ramble on for ages about something and there would be paragraphs and paragraphs of text. And so there was a content audit going on alongside like what we were doing because we can create a great component, but if everybody is structuring their pages differently, then it's not going to work. You know, we needed to like have cohesion between the two so content we're ensuring that people on the product marketing team understood how they talk about what it is that we are selling or what resource it is that we're talking about or what training that we're providing and how do we do that so that it's concise and how does that then fit into the web page kind of 
structure that we want to have. It's definitely not always perfect. There's been times where we've built components and then people have just added far too much copy, for example. That is happening less and less because like now we have guidelines around content. We have a content team that reviews everything that goes out. And so it doesn't matter if a PM decides they're going to write an entire essay for a product page. The content team is on that before it even gets to the website. So they review it together, they collaborate, and then they ensure that, okay, this is going to work. But yeah, when you first start that out and you're like, okay, we don't have like any consistency here between like this product page and this product page, they're totally different in terms of the amount of content that they're, they're using. We have definitely had to fix that first or alongside it so that when we did launch it, we weren't launching a site and then that same problem still was there. You're giving me a lot of hope here, Dan. I love it. I was all ready to, <laughs> for that to be my excuse for why I can't be in the same situation that you are. But here you go. Prove me wrong. I love it. And I'm very excited to, to get back to work on that. What does the process look like for creating a new page now? It sounds like there's a lot of self-service happening, which is exciting. But I'm curious to know where you come into that process and how you as senior visual designers still maintain that like view of brand consistency on things. Yeah, so on the content side, we work with the content team like really closely. And that is normally between the content team, one of about three or four people and the product marketer that's maybe requesting a new web page, for example. We tend to normally work from like a Google Doc at the most basic level. So we'll get a ticket in from the PM who says, I want to launch a new solution page for cloud security. And I need a hero and I need these river layout images, which are illustrations that feature down the page. They've done that by already going through a process with the content team. The content team have put together like a doc that then any PM can work from to create a new page. So if you're creating a new web page in Sneak, this is our guideline. You have an area here for some content. These blocks can move around. And then by the time it gets to us as like a request, They've normally defined all of that. So they've got all their content in place. We know how that then fits into the site. And then from my point of view, it's just, okay, well, they need an illustration or maybe they need some illustrated UI. So they're talking about the product. They're talking about an IAC product. We maybe already have within our illustration library an illustrated version of the product that can be used here. If we don't, then we need to create one. There's obviously a, a process there that we go through internally to create a new illustration and publish that to the library. It's pretty, pretty straightforward now. We very rarely get pulled in by a product marketer to launch a site without knowing at all, like we don't have any content or we don't know what illustrations we need. They normally have a pretty good idea of by that point, what the web, what the web page is going to be structured like and, and what they need. So. Yeah, it's, it's, sounds like a great it's system. Easier now. Are you still mocking up the page in Figma, or you mentioned something to do with the CMS as well? So, is the product marketer able, or someone able to go in and actually move the building blocks into place, bring in the illustration that maybe you provided them if it didn't exist yet to create the thing themselves? They can. We don't typically have like a product marketer create a new, say, product page. That will be done by the web team. Like the web team will actually bring all that together. They can create new pages within Sneak, but they're not generally like the tier one pages. When we're working with somebody who wants to create a landing page, they will 100% go and create that themselves. And 
they'll just need maybe some existing illustrations or maybe a new hero graphic or something like that from us. And we don't really have to do any mock-up in Figma. We know through our, because we have a, a system for all of our illustrations and sizes, we know, okay, this is a hero. That means it's this size. And we essentially create that. We publish it to a Figma library so that the web team can then just pull that, export it as an SVG and do their thing. From the product marketer side, who maybe is not so Figma savvy, normally they will then just, if they're not sure about that process, they will just get that from the web team or us like, oh, I need this image and we'll just provide them with it. But yeah, like our tier one page is normally handled by the web team to actually implement just because they are such key pages for us. So we need to ensure that they are like properly audited. But yeah, landing pages and things like that, PMs are creating them all the time. <laughs> I probably don't even see half of them. Every now and again, you'll see one and you'll be like, oh God, what have they done there? But that's very rare. Our product market sneaker are all great. And the system you've set up is good for helping them make the right choices too, it sounds like. Yeah, I'd like to hope so. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hearing that the tiers system of pages not only helps you in what you prioritize and what you ship, but it's like a shared language amongst the team of the importance of a page and how involved you need to be as a brand design team on it too. I definitely think I'm going to steal that, honestly. And I know that if if the product marketing manager that I work with listens to this, I know she wants to be able to create landing pages herself too. And so I've got to, got to work on that as a system. Let's talk a little bit more about self-service because it sounds like you're doing a lot of this for the web. And I know that this is something that you've actually set up for producing assets as well, which is a little scary for me always to like let go of the final details and, and be allowing folks to produce their own assets. I'm like, why is this not aligned? I see it, but other people don't, you know, all of that. <laughs> but yeah, tell me a little bit more about this and about the things you do to make asset production workflow easier at Sneak. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we actually went through like a really long, laborious evaluation of how we do self-service sneak. We had conversations with Figma, we used Canva. We've even used Google Slides at one point to actually create assets, which seems weird, but like it actually randomly works quite well. But wow. in, I don't I want know, to hear that. Right? I don't want to know about it. I don't want to no, use Google no. Slides. No, no, I wouldn't recommend, you know, it, it, it's not where we landed. So it's not what I would say <laughs> is the best solution, but it worked better than some of the self-serve tools out there, which is wild. But anyway, <laughs> I'm not going to bash any of them. But yeah, we, we tried a bunch of different tools that are like designed for self-serve. The issue that we found was that we would essentially have to manage our brand in multiple tools. So we would have a version of our brand that existed in Figma and a whole library and asset library that can main be maintained and updated at the click of a button versus then trying to maintain something on another tool. If we tweak a color or if we need a new social card and oh, we need to get all of our illustrations into there, but oh, we tweaked one illustration and now we have to export that. And, you know, it's just not scalable for a small team. And so we've landed on using Figma, which is great because it means that we can use the tool that we use every day as designers. So that's an immediate win. It obviously means there's a little bit of education around how to use Figma, but like what people are doing is adding content into a component and the text just updates across all of those components. So for example, we've started and this is very new. We've started rolling out for social cards and ads. So we have an ad system and a social card system that has all of the sizes that the person that's, you know, be it them and product marketer or somebody that's working on the social team 
that needs. All of the size is already there. They can then pick from things like a light mode versus a dark mode, whether they need a, an illustration, what illustration they can pick from our library. And, and they're essentially just doing this at the component levels. They can literally like check one and go, okay, that, and it just implements everywhere. So it's not like they have to do anything really in Figma, but there's obviously like a bit of a, it's not as simple as say something like Canva that's designed for non-designers to design in. But it does mean that we have full control over exactly what's editable and everything. If we make an update to our design system, it gets rolled out everywhere. But yeah, I mean, in terms of like the actual self-serve system itself, we work closely with like the demand and social teams on this to actually like measure the performance of it. We've also done things like testing messaging, but like I mentioned it just now, we went as, as far to test like light mode versus dark mode to see if the color theme would affect its performance. Spoiler alert, light mode does better for us anyway. Like statistically, it's not like, oh my God, this is insane, but it did perform better. But then we also did versions where we had with patch our mascot against headshots with quotes headshots outperformed massively but the great thing about like learn doing those things so by doing self-serve where you can just flick things at the literal flick of a button and then somebody from social or demand can actually just go and test them and go this is performing better we can then make those changes to our site so we actually immediately can start to think okay everybody wants a dark mode for the website but is it going to be the right thing or is this like a designer's want? Is it really going to be anything that improves the experience of our website or converts better? From the small test we've done on social, at least, we can see that light mode is performing, although not statistically much different, but it is performing better. But like patch, for example, when we, when we used patch in every asset, didn't perform as well. So maybe we need to tone back on how much we use a version of patch within our website as well. That's the great thing about being able to have something that's self-serve is that we have this like immediate kind of response back because somebody can just go and do it, grab all of their ads, all of their sizes, and then immediately start testing it. So yeah, it's been great. Am I right in understanding that people are making like switching from light mode to dark mode and like making these tweaks using component properties in Figma? Are they like yeah. interacting with the buttons at the side? Yes. Cool. That's amazing. How much Figma education did you have to give folks to be able to like get them to implement text themselves or like swap out an image or things like that? How did you go about getting people comfortable with using Figma for that as non-designers? You know, we've only just started this. So there's only a few people that have started doing it. And they're all pretty tech savvy. They work on our social demand teams. And so they already were, some of them were already going into Figma, like pre this, pre the self-serve, they're actually just using an asset and then changing type and then exporting themselves anyway, because they have access to our Figma. And so that's not ideal because it means they can literally edit and move things around whilst now they are a bit more restricted as to what they can do. So they understand that like the reason for that is because we want to have consistency across our assets. And so there wasn't really too much education needed around like, oh, this is how you use a component. It was more understanding of like, this is the reason why we just don't give you access to our entire Figma library of assets and you can just go and do what you want. And this is why we are moving to a self-serve model. Yeah, everybody that, that has used it at Sneak has been like, yeah, it makes total sense. Is there's not really been any pushback or or too much issues around like how do I do this or why am I doing this? 
So yeah, we've been pretty lucky so far, but it's very early. <laughs> Not the Figma sponsor this show. That's once my main YouTube channel, but I think that's a testament to Figma and it being easy to use as well, honestly. <laughs> I love it. Did you have to approach it in a similar way to implementing the design system on the website, right? Where you started with things that maybe were bespoke and you had to find some alignment first and like to figure out what the components should be. I'm imagining something similar needed to happen for the assets because if assets were being created bespoke, there wasn't like necessarily the same structure in all of them. How did you deal with that, but also bringing in enough variation that assets can still perform well without people feeling like they've seen this before? We are really early in on this. So at the moment, we are using this for not things like big campaigns or events that we're running at Sneak. It's more generic messaging or blog posts or something that we want to promote on social that doesn't need something more bespoke. We are still at the moment, we don't have an official like tier list for asset creation. But if we did, it would be something like a campaign, whether that's a, a product launch or a new solution or something we're featured in, like a, a report that we're we are either putting out or have been featured in. The designer like myself would create that asset. And then we would have events that would also follow that. We have like a micro design system within events where we understand that we have a speaker card. For, again, tweak about like social cards and things like that. We have like a speaker card. We have a version with two speakers, three speakers. We have a save the date template, things like that. So we can we can use them, but they all still get like some level of bespoke treatment at the moment. Because like what you said, if we just left everything to self-serve, then we would have everything looking and feeling the same and it would struggle to actually get engagement. So I think we're now just trying to find that, okay, how and when do we use self-serve? What we really wanted to do was take the like, legwork out for the designer for creating like, oh, we've got a new blog and we need a bunch of social cards for it. And this designer has to literally just put in some copy, add a call to action, add a headshot. It's very laborious. And we're like, no designer wants to be doing those assets. So let's take away that at first and see how that can perform as a self-serve model. That's doing great. And then we'll probably start to look at, okay, how do we handle this on a more bespoke level? And also how do we bring this into other assets like our one pages or product reports or anything like that like what what do we self-serve we haven't answered that right now so like i don't know but yeah that's definitely the next part of it is is getting into that and yeah it's something i i don't know how it's going to go <laughs> i love how you've approached this because i think it's a really good example of how a system doesn't necessarily have to mean that everything happens in the same way or that everything is like part of this one like design system. Our system itself is making decisions around things and you've got the tier one, two, three, whatever, that is a system. And if the system means that tier one, everything is designed by hand, everything is bespoke, whereas the other two, they're using templates, they're using self-serve, that is a system. And I think that that maybe is easier to wrap your head around than trying to make self-serve that serves campaigns as well as the blog posts. Uh, that sounds really difficult and like a recipe for a little bit of a disaster. And so I really like the way you've approached that. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, that's what we've always tried to do with the, with the system or anything we create around. We have guidelines around how we create illustrations at Sneak, for example. As much as it's there as a guideline for people to create illustrations as to know like this is 
what we should do and maybe things we try and avoid for consistency. We don't have rules around some things where we say you can break these, but like they're like flexible guardrails, right? <laughs> you know, where we don't want people to be like, this is the illustration. You can't move away from that. Everybody would just leave the company if that was the case. Nobody wants to be just like copying <laughs> and no pasting. There's creativity in that. Yeah, exactly. So like you say, a system yeah. is much around how we approach something than it is like the actual physical system that we have that we use. To wrap up, I wanted to ask you about what challenges you're working on solving next. And it sounds like answering this question about self-serve, how much more can we self-serve and what ways can we make that happen? Sounds like that might be one of them. But is there anything else that you want to share that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, that's definitely one of them. We're now at the point where we're starting to get a bit more experimental with the brand. So I sort of touched on it earlier around like our immersive heroes and things like that. We want to try and move away from being so literal in some of our illustration and iconography work. We have found that when we created this icon system and icon library, which is now spans hundreds of icons that get used for within products, marketing, slides, even Slack, they pop up, people use them as emojis and things. Some of them are so literal, but they get you reused for so many different things. We were sat at our um, all hands in Boston at the beginning of the year, and there was presentations happening every day. And obviously, as the brand team, we were looking there and going, they've used you know, the Git push icon there, and they're talking about something totally unrelated to that. You know, Somebody that's putting together a slide just go, oh, that looks nice. That could work. We're trying to move away from being so literal. So when we talk about a security team, we don't just have a person and a shield as like our icon for it. What would that look like? We're trying to approach that, approach it in that way. Same with our heroes as well. When we're talking about some of our products that maybe sneak code, for example, maybe we don't just show a literal like illustration of code. <laughs> maybe we abstract that a bit. The first implementation of this was our, our resource groups. We did like a mini brand exercise for each of the sneak resource groups. And that process was probably the first time that we actually went more abstract. So yeah, when we're thinking about all of these groups that we have at Sneak and they have some sort of identity, how do we represent that without being literal? Like when we're thinking about queer at Sneak as a group of people, like what does that group represent? And the same with like Asian at Sneak, trying not to be just too literal with the work that we do and trying to be a bit more abstract and actually represent like what that group means to the people at Sneak. Um, and so now we're trying to roll that out across things like more of our illustrations and iconography. That's going to be an interesting challenge because there's always like this desire almost to just do what it says on the tin. And when somebody from yeah, product marketing... Yeah, it's the easy choice, thinking, right? Yeah, exactly. When somebody from product marketing is thinking about, oh, I'm doing a new launch of a product, then in their mind, they maybe think of like a rocket because it represents launch. And it's like, how do we get away from just doing those things, right? Because everybody does that. So how do we, if we're thinking about the idea of, of launching something within an IDE or how, how do we represent that piece as an illustration or an icon without being as literal? So that's a, that's a fun challenge. I'm excited to see the results of that because I think that is a... Something that we all struggle with as branded marketing designers is the, those crutches of the cliches, I guess. They're easy to lean on, everyone understands them, but then it's hard to stand out as a brand and to do something unique if your icon for launch looks the same as everyone else's, right? That's going to be fun. 
to keep an eye on. Let's end by you sharing some advice that you have for someone who wants to create impactful brand and marketing design work. What advice do you have? And I'm probably going to listen to this advice myself. <laughs> I think when it comes to like impact and creating that impact across like the organization, one thing that we've actually done recently is trying to be a bit more collaborative in our design meetings. We used to have brand studio every week, we still do, where it was a chance for the brand design team to get together and share and critique each other's work and just talk about, but it was very much like self-serving. We would, oh, some Ollie's working on a, a new report. Oh, that looks great. Maybe we could do this or tweak that, or actually we could take that and implement it elsewhere. We've now actually been inviting in every week people from different teams. So we've had people from the product team, we've had people from marketing teams come in and do like a hackathon around something that they're working on. We don't really have like a, an immediate kind of like takeaway, right, we're going to implement this, we're going to do it straight away, but we have like a conversation starter. Is getting that brand exposure across to a team that maybe historically wouldn't have really interacted with the brand team outside of like a web ticket or a you know a design ticket, So, which is very like faceless. So if we bring those people into our conversations and say, what are you working on? Here's what we're working on maybe there's an opportunity there to say, okay, so maybe let's think about creating a, a report around that or a campaign around that because you've clearly got like something you're working on and you maybe wouldn't think about coming to the design team until you need an asset. But that isn't very collaborative. So that's been really good for actually having like impact across the company because suddenly we have people coming in from teams that historically haven't worked very closely with us to be joined in the conversation. And that then suddenly you have people that have this buy-in from all around the company that go, oh, have you spoken to the brand design team? They're doing some really cool stuff. And they actually helped me like define this campaign. And maybe we should be talking to them more often. <laughs> Otherwise, it's like the, the interaction that we have is, oh, our website looks like this. People don't understand why or how it got to that point. And maybe they wouldn't even know who created it. So as a brand designer, I would say doing that, having those conversations, bringing those people in, doing hackathons, like getting people uncomfortable, like you're not a designer, that's fine. We're the designers, but you have all your experience. Let's just talk and create something. Sometimes it might just be a conversation starter at the end, but at least we have something that we can, a bit of FaceTime as a remote company, that's hard. I love that advice, Dan. We can learn a lot as brand designers from other folks in the company and how they approach their work. And it's always great to raise our profile within the company too. So I think that is fantastic advice to end on. And thanks so much for all of the great things that you shared in the episode. It's been, it's been awesome chatting with you. As you heard me say to Dan during that interview, hearing about his process and what they've shipped at Sneak over the past few years, it honestly does give me hope that I can create that sort of alignment in the work that I'm doing at ConvertKit too. Sometimes at a small company, everything just feels way too busy and like there's not enough time for the details or to set up systems. But as you heard from Dan, setting up solid systems is your path to getting more time for the details. So watch the space as I work on getting all the ConvertKit feature pages into a system. Finally, I'd love to hear what your takeaways are from this episode. What did you learn? Is there anything about Dan's process that you're going to be trying out in your own the next time you start a new project? 
feel free to tweet me or tag me on Instagram with your thoughts. I am at Charlie Prangley on both platforms. And I would extra appreciate it if you would share this show with a fellow brand or marketing designer. Help me get it out there. You can find both the audio and the video versions of the episodes as well as transcripts on our site, insidemarketingdesign.com. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next month. Thank you.